sermon. And I'm relying very heavily on the Holy Spirit to make this drill deep into your hearts. Amen? So, uh, you know, it, it is Christmas, so I found it apropos. Let's open to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and just go until I feel like it. So just follow along. Uh, I know it's politically incorrect to say Merry Christmas and to have nativities. And uh, apparently school, a, school dis, a school in Pennsylvania, could they had to cancel their Charles Dickens uh, Christmas carol because of the last line, God bless us everyone. But guess what? Right here, right now, I don't care. And we're going to go for it, all right? So, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, was, uh, he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register who, uh-oh, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. Terrified. Pretend you're terrified right now. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy and that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. He will, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the, with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Then the angels left them and went into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the the Bible. The baby who was lying in the manger. Not all of them, just the baby. (laughs) When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds returned, shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The story of the birth of our Savior. I find it very, very interesting. I've been uh, reading through the New Testament a lot in the last couple of months and uh, it just began to start jumping out at me how many times the phrase do not be afraid or in the King James fear not comes up it's incredible Jesus said it all the time he had a message and it seems that every time the divine intersects with the human our initial response is fear 
So whenever an angel shows up or a prophet comes or Jesus shows up or, or does something, the immediate response of humanity was, ah! And the immediate response of the divine is, fear not. Always, fear not. In Luke 1.13, the angel shows up. To Zacharias, and as you know, Zacharias and Elizabeth had a baby as well, and she became pregnant before Mary did, and that baby's name was John, John the Baptist. And when that angel showed up to Zacharias, he was in the temple in the Holy of Holies, giving his, uh, his uh, presenting his sacrifice, and, and he's just, you know, doing his job every day, and all of a sudden, bam, angel. Bah! Fear not. A few verses later, in Luke 1, verse 30, we find Mary just minding her own business. An angel shows up before her and says, Mary, oh, blessed one, whatever they say. I can't remember the whole, whole verse. And she was surprised, I think is the word that um, is in the verse before, or you know, something along that line. And, and the, the angel says, what? Do not be afraid. Again, Joseph Fear not. Fear not. Think about this. Whenever the divine intersects with humanity, our our immediate response is fear. And God's immediate response is to encourage us to not be afraid. Do not fear. Apparently, fear is a very common ailment of mankind. 2012, there was a Gallup poll done over 31 countries. This is 2012. This was, what, four years ago? Four and a half years ago, whatever. And they found that over half of all adults were so afraid they would not go out at night and walk the streets. So over half, if you spread that out then over the world, over half of the world's population is so steeped in fear, fear of danger, fear of violence, fear of everything that's going on, that they are afraid to go out and walk the streets. Over half the population of adults. This is not children, this is adults. Fear does things in our bodies that is not good. Fear weakens your immune system. Fear can give you cardiovascular damage and and affect your heart and all of your blood vessels. Fear affects your digestive system and it can cause you to develop ulcers and, and all sorts of diseases in your digestive tract. Fear will increase your aging. So all of you women who are, you know, investing in all those creams and fancy lotions and stuff, maybe we better just like quit being afraid. It might help us. I was thinking about that this week. You know, every time I got afraid of something or something, you know, that, uh, you know, wrinkles. I, I keep thinking, stop. Fear could actually, actually causes premature death in some people. Fear, depression. It's known that when we are afraid, the intelligent parts of our brain quit working. Did you know that? When you are in a state of fear, the intelligent parts of your brain, the intelligent part, the part that thinks, stops thinking. And you have a tendency to operate then out of sudden reactions. It's kind of like, you know, when somebody comes up and scares you, boo. You lose all your ability to say, um, excuse me, who are you? Or, you know, what do you want? You go, bah! 
<laughs> so you react, right? You don't think and act, you react, right? I could tell you very funny stories about the wolf house because they all the children love to scare us. Hide in places and jump out and the crazy. Whenever I have to tattle on Mr. Wolf down here, but whenever we scare him, he grabs his heart and he goes, oh, you know, it's pretty funny. I just straight up scream. But, uh, you know, and then I punch anyone that's nearby <laughs> if I can get to them. Anybody relate to that? Come on. So fear. There's, fear is so rampant, they've actually named a hundred phobias. There are a hundred accepted listed phobias, and I'm just going to take a quick minute to run through them. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. Agoraphobia, the fear of crowds. Claustrophobia, the fear of small spaces. Tripophobia, anybody? The fear of holes. Glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Anybody have the fear of public speaking? Apparently, that's the most prevalent one. Good thing I don't have it, huh? Monophobia, the fear of being alone. Atikophobia, the fear of failure. Alicotorphobia, the fear of chickens. Who has the fear of chickens? Anybody? It's named right here. Um, Maybe some of you have this. Trypanophobia, the fear of needles. Yeah, yeah, it's a few. Okay, here comes one. It's 36 letters long, so bear with me, okay? Hypopotomonotrosoequipedialiophobia. Guess what that one is? The fear of long words. How did you know? How did you know? People knew in here. I'm like, what? The fear of long words. Um, there's a fear of success. Achievophobia. Yeah, achieve. I'm serious. These are serious. These are medical diagnosis. Phobophobia. What's that? The fear of fear. Panphobia. The fear of everything. Oh, you guys are so smart. You'll not know this one, though. Ready? Omphalophobia. Omphalophobia. Any guesses? I don't know. It's right here. It's the fear of belly buttons. And I could use a little more of this. It's cybophobia, uh, the fear of food. I do have this one. Technophobia. What do you think? The fear of technology. Um, Disposophobia. What do you think that one is? The fear of throwing something away. 90% of the things that we fear are actually considered insignificant issues. 90%, just under 90% of the things we fear in relation to our health never happen. Fear. It's a human kind disease that the Father in heaven is set on delivering us from. The Bible says very clearly that perfect love casts out fear. Not depression, not anger, not wickedness, fear. 
And so today, we're just going to really dive into this, and I hope that you can get some freedom. Amen? So the first time fear is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 3, verse 9. And if you have started at verse 1, chapter 1, you've just spent two chapters with this incredible opportunity uh, where Adam and Eve are walking very closely to God. Very closely. Very closely. And that relationship is just intimate and, and there's nothing going on between them. And then all of a sudden, one day, it was a really bad day. Eve, you know, she just kind of had a rotten moment and uh, apparently picked the apple or whatever it was, all right, people, and they sinned. And their immediate response was to hide. And God comes to the garden that afternoon in the cool of the day to walk with his, his creation, to walk with his favorite, favorite, favorite creation. And he, he's, he comes down and, and he's looking around and he can't find man. He can't find them. And he begins to call out, where are you? Adam, Eve, where are you? Adam says, I'm here. Here I am. What, what are you doing? Where are you? Go to the next verse. Verse 10. Oh, my goodness. Can you do it? Because I don't want to find it. Then the Lord called to man, where are you? Can you go to 10? No? Okay. Never mind. I'll just look for it in my Bible. I usually have them all tagged. but Is it there? Adam says back, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was what? Because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Fear. The first emotional reaction to sin is fear. Fear of rejection from God. Fear from fear. Fear, fear of what our creator is going to do. Fear, fear, afraid, afraid, hide, run. Uncomfortable. Awkward. Fear. When Jesus came on this earth, he was very, very, very aware of our human connection with fear. And he addressed it numerous times. And for God to unleash his kingdom through the humanity that was alive at that point, God knew and Jesus at the same time knew that for they, if they were to unleash the kingdom like their plan was through Jesus, everything was going to change. For them to unleash the kingdom in unprecedented, epic forms that it was the time was right and the time was set and we were going to change, he was going to, everything was going to change. And for that to happen, Jesus knew that he must deliver us from fear. Jesus gathered to, together around him 12 men. And he spent three years with them, teaching them all sorts of things. And one of the main things he taught them was to not fear. Because he knew what was coming. He knew what they were going to be called to do. He knew that those 12 were going to turn the world upside down for the kingdom. They were going to change everything. You do not understand. 12 men after Jesus' death and everything, they changed everything. But they were going to not be able to do that. That was not going to happen. It was not ever going to come to pass as long as they remained in their human fears. 
they would run and hide. For God to unleash his kingdom through humanity in epic proportions, he knows once again that we must be delivered from fear. And that deliverance has to be done person by person, individually, individually. This is something that has to be done. I look at you. I don't want you to think, oh, yeah, church. Yeah, 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 Christians. Yeah, 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 no fear. I am saying this has to be something that is done deep down inside of every single human heart. And it has to be done generation after generation because when one generation gets it, guess what? They die. The next generation comes and there's a whole new crop of humanity that needs to be affected by the kingdom of God. And if that new humanity, that new group, that new generation doesn't have a core uh, centered Christian mouthpiece that is delivered from fear, then that generation will be lost. It has to be done. Fear is something that influences every single human being. Has anybody ever been afraid? Has anybody shrunk back from something when they, because they're afraid? You know, I have a very, I, I'm going to just be really honest. Can I be honest with you? This is, yeah, this not, might not mean anything to you, but I was driving home. I'm a nurse. I'm an RN. You know, I love fixing people, helping people. And I was driving home from church one day, and I had the kids in their car seats, and, and we were on one of our neighborhood streets. I don't think I've ever told anybody this. And uh, driving along, and there were some shady-looking characters, and they were riding bikes. No, actually, shady-looking characters. And then one was riding his bike, and he kind of rode away from the others. And I kind of looked at them, and my immediate response was fear. A little bit inside of me. And I didn't even realize it was there, Right? And so we're driving, it had been raining, the, the road was wet, and we were kind of driving. He was here, and I was about right here, and I'm driving faster than he's riding, of course. And his bike spins out, and he falls, and he crashes, and he rolls. And as he's rolling, I'm hearing him cussing and swearing, and, and he's scary looking. And I, for a moment, I'm like, oh, i got to stop and help him. And then the other piece of me, and I hate to, I'm ashamed to admit it, got afraid. I mean, what is that guy going to do? He's like broken on the ground. He's not going to, but I got afraid. And I drove, I drove by him. I still remember that day. And I, 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 I'm so sad I missed that opportunity. Because probably God had me driving at that moment and that guy crashing at that moment because he knew he could count on me to get out and pray for him. And maybe show him love. Maybe, I don't know. But I drove past because all of a sudden this fear gripped my heart. So the the idea of what God wanted to happen, he put that together. It was so orchestrated. But my fear ended it. I don't know what ever happened to that guy. I'm shamed to admit I drove off and he was laying on the pavement. But I was afraid. Fear causes us that in the moment to do things we have no idea why we did it and if I had taken a moment to even think a little bit more in fact I a little bit later I kind of went back you know and he was gone and his bike was gone some other soul helped him you know but I can't promise you that person prayed for him or shared the love of God you know what I mean fear 
If God's going to change this generation, he needs a church, a body, a people, a person who's delivered to their fear. So I'm going to get started here, finally. (laughs) Whoopsie, my tag fell off. Matthew 10, turn over to Matthew 10. There's so many possibilities here that I could go with with this sermon because there's so many opportunities that Jesus said, do not fear. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is a really fun spot. Jesus has been doing all sorts of very fun and wonderful, cool things, powerful things. And he, um, he calls his 12 together and he goes, listen, guys, today is going to be a great day. And he tells his people, his 12 disciples, He calls them to him, and he gives them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Wouldn't you want to be at that meeting? I I mean, can you imagine? They've been watching Jesus do all of this amazing, amazing stuff for like months and years, you know, maybe a year, I don't know how long, but a while, and it's just blowing their brains. And now Jesus calls you together for a conference meeting and says, okay, listen, I am now giving you the power to do all this too. What would you do? That would be such an, I mean, this is going to be a great day. Yippee, you know, I can't wait. I'm going to be amazing. I am going to be incredible. I'm going to kick, kick out every disease. I am, yep, I am. I am. You and me, Jesus. Yay, we're going to have such a fun time, right? So then he goes on. So these are the names. Just follow me with the verses as best as you can. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon. Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James of Alphaeus or whoever, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot. And so he lists the 12 that he did this to. And then he sends them out. He goes, okay, listen, this is a big commissioning service. I'm going to send you out. I'm not going to go with you. I'm staying home. And I'm going to send you out. And you get to go out and start being like me. I think that's pretty cool, especially if you know that you have just been given all of Jesus's anointing, right? So he starts giving them a little bit of instruction about how he wants the, the, the mission to go. And down at verse 9, join me there. So everything's going pretty good. But at verse 9, he says, do not take along with you any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or an extra tunic or sandals or staff for the workers keep worth his keep. So now, you know, I'm thinking in my head, probably, when Jesus tells me I'm going to go on a trip, I'm thinking, okay, I have to stop by Walmart. I need three more shirts. I need, I need a couple of extra sandals. I'm going to need this. And, you know, I have to go by the bank, pull out a bunch of money, because, you know, I never know what I'm going to want when I'm out there, right? And i got to prepare for me. i got to prepare. i got to take care of me. And Jesus immediately says, okay, listen, you don't even get to take a bag with you. You don't get to take an extra tunic. You don't get to take anything with you. Wait a minute now. But what if? What if I need something? What if, what if, what if, what if? No, you're going to trust me. And you're going to trust that I'm going to provide for you. Oh, well, that's a little uncomfortable. I'd rather take care of life for myself. No, you're going to trust me entirely on this one. Okay, so now the trip's looking a little different for me now, right? It's kind of taking on a new feel. A little, little scary, a little bit. What if I get hungry? No, I can't even take a jelly, peanut butter jelly sandwich. 
No. Because you can't even take a bag. You can't even take a penny. Don't take anything. Trust me. That's scary. So it's starting to kind of go a little weird. Then a little farther down, verse 17. He's, he's still talking to his disciples, saying how things are going to go. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. And on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. And when they arrest you, don't worry about it. Don't even worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Okay, now things are getting a little more dicey. So now he's saying... I'm going to get beat up over this thing. But don't worry about it. I'm going to keep going. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. And children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay, now I'm not so sure I want to do this thing. This trip has gone from happy to very scary, right? So now go on to, down to verse um, 28. So Jesus is starting to wrap it up. He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy the soul and body in hell. Interesting. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than a sparrow. So Jesus outlines how rough and tough and awful this whole thing is going to turn into. It's going to turn pretty dark. It's going to turn pretty bad. But he continues on by saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he throws this verse in here. It says, don't be afraid of the one who can only kill your body. But be afraid of the one that can kill your body and has power over your soul. So now Jesus is starting to make a little bit of distinction. Let me me help you right now. He's starting to make a little bit of a distinction. He tells you to not be afraid of some things and to be afraid of another thing. So how does that work? Well, you have to understand something. There are two definitions of fear. If you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary, Strong's Concordance, all of that, there's two definitions. The first definition is a strong, unpleasant emotion caused by the anticipation of danger. Fear. Strong, unpleasant emotion caused by the anticipation of danger. The second one is profound reverence and awe towards something. Fear. So you have to become very, very um, intuitive as to what he's meaning when he says the word fear. So the first thing he says is, don't fear the one that can kill your body. Now let me broaden this out. Do not fear, and this is tremble with fear, bad, scary emotion. The one that can deal with your body, the temporal, this temporal situation. I'm going to expand out the body. The one that can kill you persecute you, the, the disease that might come upon you and kill you, 
Don't fear the one that can come and maybe tamper with your finances that will affect your temporal situation right here. Don't fear these things that deal with the temporal, your little bitty life right now. Jesus is trying to give us some perspective. But fear, and I want to present to you that fear means to have an awe and a reverence. The one that can deal with your body and your soul. And that would be God. So he's saying right now, this is how I want you to live. People, you are my people. You are my disciples. I'm about ready to send you out to turn the world upside down. I have so much in mind right now for you and how life is going to change through your generation and generations to come. And I will tell you right now, do not fear anything to do with your body, anything to do with your temporal situation, anything to do with this, this temporal short time you have right here, but have all the awe and reverence for the one who deals with not only the temporal and the eternal because this right here and now will end very quickly but eternity is going to go forever live life in the eternal realm Jesus is trying to take his disciples out of this perspective of little bitty here and now, owie, wah, what if, I don't know, eh, this moment right now. And he wants to stretch us into the eternal. That moment when I was driving on that road, I had the moment of the opportunity to step into the eternal with that man. But I was afraid of my little right now. Jesus is saying, oh, people of God, for us to be, Ones that are going to change the world, change the lives of people and ourselves. We have got to step out of our little bitty understanding of the right now and begin to live for the eternal. It will change you. I just have a few minutes left. Do not fear. Do not fear. Be not afraid. However they want to say it or translate it, do not fear. There are three fears I want to talk to you about. The first fear is imagined fear. Imagined. Everybody say imagined fear. Imagined fear. We are made, it in the, made in the cre- and created in the image of God. God is the most incredible imaginer. He imagines, and out of his imagination, he created. He created this earth. He imagines, he thinks, and out of imaginations come creations. Come what you what he, bring, he brought forth everything he was imagining. Now, when God imagines, he imagines in the good realm, the amazing realm, the fantastic realm. He imagines in, in uh, the, you know, uh, Satan comes to kill, steal, destroy, but God, bring, uh, God came to what? Bring life and life more abundantly. That's the realm he creates in. The enemy, on the other hand, creates out of death. He imagines the worst, and then he wants to create that. That's the enemy's use of imagination. God's over here believing for incredible, wonderful, imagining great and a mighty thing. What if? And yes, and we can, and let's go, and this is what I want, and let's go, and let's do it. And Satan is over here going, let's see. How can I destroy something here? What if? 
What if car wreck? What if disease? What if, what if, what if, what if? And he begins to imagine everything possible evil in your world and in your life and in this whole generation, everything. He imagines and out of that he begins to create. You stand, you Every single one of you stand in the center and you have been given a God-given gift of a will. Nobody makes you think or do anything. You choose it. You have the same imaginative creative power because you're in the image of God and you stand between these two realms And you are challenged to use your imagination every moment of every day. And your imagination works very well. The problem is, many of God's people choose to imagine, choose to design things within their mind that go a little bit more in unity with the enemy in your life. Nothing has happened my son is going to get in his car and drive over here with, um, you know, not the best of eyesight in the middle of winter when it's freezing cold and there's ice and snow. I stand there. I had, I had an opportunity this week to use this sermon. I was like, and I began to imagine everything that could possibly go wrong. I began to imagine. I began to join the enemy to imagine everything that could go wrong. And out of my imaginations, I am telling you, creation happens. I had to reel myself in and say, okay, imagination. What if I insert God in the situation? If I put God in the car with Austin and I begin to imagine and join with what the Lord is imagining for this trip, He's going to drive. He's going to be safe. He's going to get here in great time. Because he has to play drums for us on Sunday. And he's going to have an amazing trip. And I shifted my brain. And do you know, I felt a change in all of my aura of my spirit and myself. Many of the church who has a father, God, knowledge of who he is in heaven and what he is and what his dreams and desires are. But many of us in our mind, moment by moment, are joining the enemy in his creative, imaginative power. And the enemy's always going to breed fear. And I only have this much mind space. I don't have any more. If I choose to use it, then I'm not using it. Fear. God says, do not fear. I have a challenge to you right now. What are your greatest imagined fears right now? We all have them. Am I going to lose my job? I have a lump right here. Is it cancer? It's cancer. I'm going to die. She doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. Well, then, ah, and it goes on. 
Find your most strongest, most potent imaginative fear right now that you face on a day-to-day basis that's constantly knocking on your door, screaming for attention in your brain. And right now, right now, people of God, I ask you, I beg of you, I entreat you to take the Lord Jesus Christ and place it right smack dab in the middle of that imagination. What happens to it? What happens? So my challenge to you, is to do what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, cast down every imagination and every high place that does not align itself with the Lord Jesus Christ. People of God, quit spending your brain time imagining with the devil. Begin even today, even now, begin to imagine with the Lord. Begin to create create and, and to bring forth what he has. Do not fear in your imaginations. What would that do to you? What, how would you be released? How far could you go? Where could you think? What could you dream of? If you removed fear from your imaginations. Secondly, I have to go fast. Real fear. There is real fear. There are those moments when you are in a real fear moment. This is not imagined. This is real. Matthew 8, 23 through 27, we find Jesus. I'm just going to blow through it really quickly. We find him in the boat with his disciples. He lays down. We all know the story so well. He lays down to take a nap. They're going across the big, huge lake uh, of the Sea of Galilee. A huge storm comes up, and the disciples are afraid. They are scared. They are going to die. Many people died on that lake. Many of their friends and relatives have been out fishing and died on the lake when these squalls come out. They are very dangerous. And the waters come up. This is real fear. Real fear. And Jesus is with them. And he doesn't care. How many of you have ever been in the middle of real fear and you think Jesus is not there? God's not there. He is there. He's waiting to see what your response is going to be. Are you going to call upon him or are you going to succumb to the fear? Are you going to call upon him or are you going to succumb to the fear? They go to Jesus. They wake him up. What are you doing? And you know what Jesus said? I always thought this was a little unfair. He looked at them and said, oh, you of little faith. If you just wouldn't be afraid. And he calmed the the wind and the seas. Real fear. What is your response when real fear happens? You better be calling on Jesus. Every time we look like we're going to get in a wreck, Dwayne yells, angels of mercy, come right now. He calls on God and they show up. Right? Real fear. Real fear. Who do you call on? Finally, the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown. First of all, with imagined fear, God will be there. So how does that change the situation? Second of all, real fear. Do not fear because he is always there. Fear of the unknown, your future. Sometimes life is like walking down a path in this, you know, out in the woods in the dark. You can't see a thing. You don't know where you're going. You might feel right now in your life you're kind of doing the old, you know, tap routine to make sure you don't fall in a hole because you don't know what's coming up next. You don't know what's in your future. You don't know where to go, what to do, how to turn. You don't know your future. 
Psalm 119.105 says that the word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God is there to light your present and where to take the next step. He doesn't always light. You know, he has no high beams, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> Have you ever been driving down a road and it's really, really dark and you don't know what's ahead of you and you click those high beams on and you see it and then it's like, oh, I can do this. Well, God rarely turns the high beams on. He's usually got you going through thick soup fog in the dark of night. And you can just barely see what's right in front of you. And that can create fear. But I would say to you, what if God is already out in front of you? What if good is already out there? See, you're imagining all the bad that could be out there. What if, what if it's all good? What if he's going to light the step that you need to take right in front of you at that moment? What's wrong with just taking that step and trusting him with whatever is beyond that one step? What if? Do not fear. So let's go back to the disciples and their life journey. Jesus had three years to change their perspective because he was about to unleash the kingdom in epic proportions through them. Do not fear. You would think that that would be an impossible quest, an impossible request. And the night before he was uh, betrayed, they're out praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the, the soldiers come. He's been telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the one that can kill your body. But honor and reverence the one that is going to take you into eternity and you will be fine. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come. They're ready to take Jesus. The disciples disappear. They don't even want to be associated with Jesus now. They're fearing the one that can harm their body. They, you know, Peter denies, you. you're one of them. No, I'm not, because I don't want you to hurt my body. You might hurt me. You might kill me. I don't want to be a part of that. They were so afraid. Bam, Jesus is crucified. He's dead. He's buried. He raises again. They stand there, and they look at him, and they see him, and they realize the death disease, sickness, poverty. They've watched it all get trounced by Jesus Christ. And it changes them. Their perspective immediately changes. So what's left after Jesus goes up to heaven? Twelve disciples and about 120 followers. At about A.D. 33. Those Small band, that small band got it so good. They understood it so much that by AD 100, there are a million Christians in the Roman Empire. And the entire society is being turned upside down through those 12. Epic proportions because they figured it out. I want the band to come. These guys stopped being afraid of anything that would affect their temporal body. Everything. They gave it all up. They stopped being afraid. As I said, by AD 100, there were a million Christians because of their lack of fear of the wrong thing and fearing the right thing, which is God. How do I know this? 
in AD 100, about 80, there was a guy named Galenus. Galenus, he was a Roman and he was a doctor. They couldn't do any, um, you know, looking into dead bodies or bodies to learn about the medical profession. They had to use live bodies because it was against the law to use dead. So they would go to the Colosseums, and, and when the gladiators and the different, different people were in the throes of death, they'd drag them out of the Colosseum, and they'd give the bodies to the, the medical profession to open them up and to discover what was on the inside of them. Kind of gross, sorry. So in, the, in these years post-Jesus, most and many, I should say, of those bodies, those people that were in the throes of death were Christians. Because they had just been mauled by tigers. They had just given up their life for Christ. They had lost the fear of the one that can harm their temporal body. And they had just given up their life, their earthly life, in a witness to millions, well not millions, hundreds and thousands of people standing in those coliseums. And many of them came to Christ after these moments of persecution and martyrdom. So this doctor would take these bodies and lay them out, and they're not dead yet. They're still alive. Some of them are talking. Some of them are... And can you imagine? You know you're going to die. You're in great pain. But these Christians, every single Christian that he would work on, blew his mind. Because they never were afraid. They were never angry. They were never bitter. They were never upset because they knew they trusted their temporal life to the one that was going to carry them on into eternity. And he writes about them numerous times. He says one of the quotes, the fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something I witness in them every single day. Stephen was stoned to death. James was beheaded. Philip was scourged and crucified. Matthew was uh, cut to death with a halberd. Matthias was stoned to death. Andrew was crucified transversely. Mark was dragged to pieces. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was beat and crucified. Thomas was speared. Luke was hanged. Simeon was crucified. And John was boiled in oil, of which he survived and then was imprisoned the rest of his life. But people, after their ministry, after their life, after their witness, after their way of living, one million Christians, one million Christians, after their life, I look at you right now. Let's all stand. I look at you right now. Their generation, these ones lived and died. Their next next generation lived and died and gave up their lives and and stood and and were powerful for the kingdom. In epic proportions, the kingdom continued to grow and grow and grow until now, today, we inherit millions of Christians, millions of Christians across the globe in every single nation. But those generations are gone now. There is a new generation that all stands here. You are his mouthpiece. You are the one that he desires even now today to change your generation, your society, your world, your workplace. Every person that God knits you together, even for a moment of time, intersecting you with another life. I pray right now, every one of you, 
that fear would go. That you would be delivered from fear. Because if you can be delivered of your fear, you will succeed. But if you are afraid of what people might think of you, if you are afraid of what might happen to your little body, you know, I was afraid that that young man and some of his crazies would come and hurt me. I drove by. I might, sometimes I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid it might cost me too much. It might, whatever, I'm protecting my moment, my place, my life. God wants us to give up fear, to let it go, to get its grip off of us, to just destroy it out of our lives so that when something comes by, when there's an opportunity, we are the ones that will stand that we will be the ones that will speak, that we will be the ones that love, that we will be the ones that become different. We will be the ones that walk in righteousness instead of all the evil that's around us. Don't let your mouth begin. Don't begin to sound like everybody around you so you can fit in because you're afraid. Maybe don't cuss and swear. Maybe do things a little differently. Maybe, maybe you stand up and begin to separate yourself into righteousness in a good way, in a cool way, in a wonderful way so that God can use you. You don't have to be like everybody else. We don't need a lot of everybody else. They need you to be God, to be Christ. Amen? Fear of man right now. Just lift your hands up high in the air. Say, fear of man, go off of me. Fear of the unknown, get off of me. Fear of failure, get off of me. Fear of the uh, the future, get off of me. Get off of me. Get off of me. And I would say to you that when he gives you a moment, just like he told those disciples, Don't be afraid when you stand before those judges. Don't be afraid. Just open your mouth and I will fill it. Let me speak through you, but in Jesus' name, open your mouth. Be the light. What do you fear right now? What do you fear? What do you fear? I fear abandonment. It's the scariest thing in my life. It's the scariest thing of life in my world to look around, to look at you and know that you could walk away and leave me alone. That scares me. And when I operate in my fears, I act weird. But when I overcome those, then I'm able to love you. And our relationship is, you know, you get it? So what is your fear? What is your fear? Put Jesus Christ right in the middle of it right now. Beat it up, beat it up, beat it up. All of us are influenced by fear. I want the prayer team up here. I know I'm going over to, oh my word. Get the prayer team up here right now. There are some people here today that you aren't just influenced by fear in your life. You are driven by fear. Fear drives you, stops you, turns you, you know, backs you up. Fear is the driving force in your life and you want it broken off of you, I want you to come up right now.
fast, fast, fast. If you are on the prayer team, turn around and face that way. If you want prayer, come up to one of these right now. I know that there are those in this room that need fear broken off of them because fear drives them. Come on up, come on up, come on up, come on up. Come on up. I know you're here. And then there's the other group that says, you know what? I'm not driven by fear, but I'm influenced by it all the time. I wrestle with it, and I have to beat it up. Right now, come forward right now, and let's get some breakthrough on this. I break fear. I break fear off of you in Jesus' name right now. The rest of you, for the rest of this service, let's just worship him. Come on up for prayer, and let's get this thing taken care of. Amen.